to Eye on Horror, the official podcast of iHorror.com. This is episode 70, otherwise known as season four, episode 13. I am your host, James J. Edwards, and with me, as always, is your other other host, Jacob Davison. How are you doing, Jacob? Doing good. Just got off of work and excited to be back. <laughs> yeah, we are recording this in the dead of night <laughs> uh, because that's when our scheduling is. And um, I just got home from a screening of Stillwater, the new Matt Damon, uh, g- kind of like a legal thriller, but not really. It's very schizophrenic, but it's not horror, so I'm not going to waste time on it. Jacob just got home from work. And Korea, your other other host, tell us why we're recording in the middle of the night, dude. Welcome to Ion Horror After Hours, where <laughs> things get steamy. Eye on Horror After Dark. We're, we're recording at weird hours because Jacob's back to work and I'm on the road again. I have been in Minnesota uh, for the last week. I'm actually flying out to South Dakota tomorrow um, and then I'm going to start my every other day hopping. Only this time we're driving because, you know, flying sucks. And apparently rental cars are impossible possible to book right now because they sold a lot of them during the pandemic and now everyone's going on vacation and it's it's a logistical nightmare and i hate everything we were supposed to drive to south dakota but those fuckers wouldn't let us take the rental car there so we have to fly for an hour and a half that's stupid (laughs) anyways uh yeah I'm, i'm back on the road so it's it's midnight 30 here no quarter to 1 a.m. here so he's taking one for the team because he's two hours in the future yeah it's it's only it's only quarter to 11 for me and jacob but minnesota's great i love minnesota uh shout out to our minnesota listeners because uh i i like i like it here it's 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 nice the where in minnesota are you we're in uh woodbury uh so not far from uh st paul uh kind of like 20 minutes from the border to Wisconsin. Okay. Uh, Wisconsin also, we went there the other day. Wisconsin's pretty dope too. Gotta say, you guys are killing it over here. When my band used to tour every summer, one of my favorite places was Duluth, Minnesota, because it's way up there. It's right on one of the lakes. I don't know which one. There's a thousand here, man. (laughs) It's known as the Thousand Lakes State. Oh, it's by the lake. But Duluth is on one of them, and it is a beautiful (laughs) little town. Did you try the cheese in Wisconsin? In Wisconsin? Uh, (laughs) No, but I had a keto taco, which was just basically like pork carnitas. And they had like seven or eight like leave big leaves as the shell. It was fucking phenomenal. (laughs) All right, let's get on with this because we got some catching up to do because uh, I our schedules that we we recorded two episodes in the same day last time. And uh, now we're recording in the middle of the night. Um, Yeah. First thing I want to talk about here, because we talked about it a little bit with Emma. Have you guys both seen Werewolves Within? Yes. Oh, my God. It, was that amazing or what? Oh, my God. It was a blast. It was actually my first movie back at the Arrow Theater uh, because Beyond Fest was doing a uh, premiere screening of or pre-screening of it. And oh, my God, it was such a fun crowd movie. Like the opening five seconds, like we were already laughing our asses off. It's great. It's like um, it's kind of like a whodunit. Like it reminded me of like Knives Out or Clue, except instead of trying to decide who the killer is, you have to try and decide who the the werewolf is. Oh, it's it's brilliant. 
And I, everybody who's been watching TV during the pandemic recognizes Lily, the AT&T girl. She's in it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it actually reminded me of uh, The Beast Must Die. Yeah. It, it, it's kind of similar because another one where you have to guess who the werewolf is, but um, not quite as obvious as The Beast Must Die. <laughs> well, also no werewolf clock uh, yeah, in yeah. Werewolves Within, which I, which, you know, could have been improved with a werewolf clock. Well, the thing is, Werewolves Within is like every character is a red herring. So it's like just when you think you know, and then you're like, okay, that's not it. And then, okay, no, this is the guy. Well, no. Okay, no, no. This chick is the where. Oh, no. You know, it's so much fun. <laughs> Keeps you on your toes. Yeah, it totally does. It was so much fun. Oh, and, and speaking of, I actually got that issue of Fangoria that Emma. Uh, did the photography for, and it is great. Yeah. Especially because it's a glow-in-the-dark cover. Which is awesome. So cool. And I'm going to say it right now. I want Sam Richardson and uh, Milana uh, Yontrub. I want them to be the next Abbott and Costello or uh, <laughs> Chris Farley and David Spade. They need to like, just keep doing a bunch of random movies where they're the two comedic leads because their chemistry was fantastic, and they were so funny together. The whole chemistry of the whole cast was fantastic. Oh, yeah. No, everybody was great. For, for a while, that um, that stereotypical uh, gay couple kind of bothered me. I'm like, they're leaning hard into this. But then I realized every character in the damn movie is a stereotype. Yeah. They're caricatures. Yeah. Ex yeah, exactly. And then I'm like, oh, okay, it doesn't bother me as much now that I know that's they're leaning into everybody that hard. I mean, think about it, you know, they're because they got. Uh, uh, the gay couple, uh, and then they've got like the super right wing couple who are saying, you know, I don't, I don't want to say exactly what, but you know, like typical right wing shit. But also, those are all real people in Vermont. Like, I was telling oh, yeah. Lindsay when we were watching, I was like, no, they, this is like, you go into a small town in Vermont, you will meet almost every single one of these people there. Also, as a New Englander, can attest that is basically Vermont. Which is great. I love seeing, uh, uh, you know, accurate representation of New England in films. It makes me very happy. Same. Did uh, did either of you guys see the Forever Purge? Uh, yes, yet. I saw it, and I and I liked it. I was okay with it. Um, Purge movies. I've, I've said this before. Purge movies and me. I, I, I love the concept more than I love the movies, and this is more of the same. It's like. And, and they all start off so strong, but then they devolve into these just shoot 'em ups. And, you know, I, I, yeah. I think I like, you know, I, 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 when they kill, like there are a couple of great kills in the Forever Purge that have nothing to do with guns. And those are the good ones. Mm -hmm. And I think every one of the movies have that. But this one is a different kind of it because usually the, the Purge movies that we see usually are um, like, is set in urban areas in the you know middle of of the city and stuff this one is in like a texas border town and um and of course it makes its you know thinly veiled political statements not not even not even thinly veiled not veiled yeah, at all it's it was a bit heavy-handed yeah but but if you think about it, if there really was a purge, that's what would happen. You know? Pretty much. But I did think it was funny that because um, the, 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 the thing is the forever purge, the purge ends and then there's a faction of the public that doesn't stop doing it. And so all of a sudden, all of the law abiding citizens who ended the purge, they start running for the border. And I just thought it was so funny that like it, it, it was just a funny juxtaposition that you have all these Americans 
trying to escape the violence in their country by going to Mexico. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. That was, that was a fun twist. Yeah. And also I really dug it because it's actually, I actually consider it to be a horror Western, you know? Oh yeah. It's got, definitely got those elements. Uh, and there's, there's even a bunch of cowboy theme purgers. So I thought that was pretty neat. Um, also it, it, for what it was, it did have an incredible, uh, sequence where they go into an El Paso movie theater that's showing, uh, Dracula during the purge or, or during the forever purge. And I thought that was really cool. And, uh, also made me think a little bit of fade to black for reasons. <laughs> yeah. I, I still need to uh, see that one. Uh, I I've just started going to the theaters again. So work working my way. I had to, I had to start off with the spark brothers documentary, which is nice. not horror, but it is absolutely phenomenal. I think everyone should see it. I've been listening to sparks nonstop because of it. I mean, they're a great band horror adjacent zola have you guys seen zola yet no how is this horror adjacent i have not seen it yeah so i don't know much about in. it oh oh because it's ter- it's it's a terrifying thing uh if you've ever been in that awkward situation where you meet really weird people and you go to a second location with them that's this movie it's just uh. getting it's it's just getting stuck in like the most uncomfortable and like worst scenario you could possibly be with the worst people ever and i mean who hasn't been there especially when on a bender you know um but yeah it's also one of the funniest movies of the year so i i can't recommend it enough also horror adjacent while we're horror adjacenting uh did you guys see black widow i did uh yes and i i i I have to say this ray weinstone's character come on that that character is Harvey Weinstein, right? Like, <laughs> like I'm 90% certain he was either written that way or the actor took the inspiration. But I swear to fucking God that the main villain in a fucking Marvel movie is inspired by Harvey Weinstein. I know that Scarlett Johansson owns the Black Widow character. But didn't you guys think that Florence Pugh and David Harbour stole this movie right out from under her? Oh, of course. Yeah, they were they were phenomenal. On Rachel Wise. Yeah, her not so I mean she was good but Florence Pugh and David Harbour were so hilarious like Florence yeah. Pugh she, she's making fun of of Scarlett Johansson's like you know because she's like basically the Russian equivalent of Black Widow she you know she's in Russia doing it and she likes make fun of how she poses when she fights <laughs> and then she tries it she's all nah <laughs> and the whole time she's just grunting she's like you know when you get low and you do the hair thing and you're you're posing you're a poser and then she does the posting and she's like, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but no, David Harbour as Red Guardian, that was a definite highlight of the movie. Oh, yeah. Uh, he's he's great. I, I just love his his fishing story with his father was was gold. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I didn't realize it. It took me a bit because there was there's one bit where Francis Poe is just going on about uh, or Florence Poe sorry uh, going on about her vest and how it's a great vest and it's got all these pockets and whatnot (laughs) and I was like this is a great bit but what the fuck is going on here and then at the end of the movie she gives the vest to sorry spoiler she gives the vest to Black Widow and suddenly you're like oh this movie is an origin story for Black Widow's outfit at the beginning of Infinity War didn't realize I needed that but (laughs) I got it why not yeah that's the thing I mean Clearly, I mean, I don't want to spoil uh, Endgame, but clearly this takes place before Infinity War. It actually is right after Civil War because the Avengers, half of them are in jail and 
Black Widow is on the run, and that's how she ends up where she is. So it is a yeah. bit of an origin story, but it's um, it's real contained too. It's not as yeah. huge scale as these Marvel movies usually are. Yeah, it's more of like Mission Impossible than it is the Avengers to yeah. me. There's no oh, yeah. giant blue, you know, beam coming from the sky in this, <laughs> and and the action's great. Like, there's definitely oh, like yeah. a heavy born inf- uh, influence throughout. Um, but I still yeah. say uh, the best part of that movie is watching the credits and seeing female director, female writers, producers, just all over. And then yeah, Scarlett, Scarlett Johansson. Johansson produced the movie, too. Yeah, like that. And it's awesome because it, it made over $200 million, uh this weekend, like uh, opening weekend. So it's one of those things like Wonder Woman. If they had given Wonder Woman to a male director, people would have burned the theaters down. You know, so it, Black Widow is another one of those where if they had given that to a male director, there would have been hell to pay. If they had made Black Widow like phase one when they were like overly sexualizing her all the time, it would have been terrible. Because like Iron Man 2, oof. They probably would have given it to a male director too, though. Mm. Yeah. So, so it, I, it's good that we waited this long for it. It's sad we had to wait this long, but it, we got a better product, I think, because of it. Oh, definitely. Um, and on on that note of uh, kind of uh, female-led action movies that kind of horror jason i was actually at uh the premiere of gunpowder milkshake at the new beverly on 35 millimeter oh how is it i hear it's more like a jackie chan than john wick yeah no that is accurate i mean it's a lot of uh slapstick action uh and yeah it gets pretty uh violent over the top so yeah i can see that comparison although as a little bit of a John Wick vibe. Oh, yeah. But no, I mean, it was so much fun, you know, and Karen Gillan really gets to shine. And uh, without spoiling too much, like there's also the, there's this great bit with like these uh, gangsters uh, dressed as universal monsters. And okay. uh, yeah, no, just there, there was some great shootouts and beatdowns and uh, again, don't want to go too into it because spoilers, but yeah, no, just it's it's some jaw dropping stuff. First of all, would totally join that gang. Uh, second <laughs> of all, if we were to start a Universal Monsters themed gang, what is your outfit, guys? Gill man, calling the Gill man. I, I got the man. Invisible Man. You got the Invisible Man. You just want to run around naked. That's yeah, all. I mean, it was more just masks because you know it's like you know uh, the dead presidents from Point Blank. You know they just had the masks. Well, there you yeah. go. I, I would just bandage my face up. I would go Wolfman, personally. <laughs> That's because you got Nards. I, I got I got shot in the Nards with a t-shirt gun. At a, oh, you never forget Beyond Fest. You, oh, Beyond Fest. I miss you. My nuts yep. don't, but me, I do. <laughs> but yeah, no, just Gunpowder Milkshake, though. A lot of fun. Definitely recommend it. Uh, see it in theaters if you can. I guess if you're in LA, uh, I think it's playing for a few more nights. So it'd probably be out of theaters by the time this plays. But it was just so much fun. I actually finally cracked into my copy of um, Severance: Tales of the Uncanny, the documentary they made about uh, anthology horror anthologies. Oh yeah, I love I love that documentary. I got it's it's now a part of my top five quarantine movies, like movies that were made during quarantine. Uh, I, I thought it was so well done and it, I, it's, I do this all the time I'll watch a documentary about a genre and I'll buy a bunch of movies from it and so I've just been like collecting I got I, my anthology collection has grown exponentially because of it 
Uh, but it did get me to finally also crack open my copy of From Beyond the Grave. And I'm so sad I haven't watched that movie sooner because that movie Ooh, that's is... that's a good one. It's phenomenal. But I have to mention the the story with Donald Plaisance and his, da- his actual daughter is one of the creepiest and well most well done like horror anthology shorts it's such a slow yeah. burn so and weird it's so weird i love but i loved it so much like i it, there was just so much with it i i didn't understand but it was just yeah and she looks so much like him they got the same eyes <laughs> it's the yeah. devil's eyes it's a weird one man but yeah absolutely phenomenal speaking of donald pleasance um, I just want to say shout out to Screen Factory for making my year by announcing Alone in the Fucking Dark. Oh, yes, finally. Oh, oh. my God. Anybody who's listened to 10 minutes of, our, of any episode of our podcast knows that that is like a holy grail on Blu-ray for me. And Screen Factory is coming through hardcore. Yeah, it's finally happening. I thought you were going to say thank you for forcing me to buy rebuy Halloween 1 through 5 yet yep. again, Screen Factory. Not doing that. <laughs> yeah, not doing that. I did it. Diabolic DVD had a really good deal on them, so I figured. <laughs> I figured, why the fuck not? I would feel like I was disrespecting Alone in the Dark if I didn't pre-order it, so I did pre-order it. But I'm not buying the Halloween movies again. <laughs> yeah, no, I got. I got to get a 4K TV before I do that. Um, but yeah, no, I'm excited yeah, for Alone in the Dark too. I was very lucky to have seen it theatrically at the New Beverly All Night Horror Show a couple years back. And and yeah, it just blew the audience away. So I'm honestly surprised it took this long. I'm excited for more people to see it because oh, I yeah, think there are a yeah. lot of people who know the reputation but haven't seen it. And now that yeah, it's Jack screened, Shoulders' first movie, it's so. I mean, in that cast, Martin Landau, yep, um, Jack Palance is in it. It's Tom Pleasance with yeah with that cast. How the hell did it take this long? I know that it it was a rights thing, but still, mm. how the hell did it take this long? But, uh, back in anthologies, I actually got. A uh, new release from a uh, new label called Culture Shock Releasing uh, called Creek Tales. Ooh. It's like the shot on video anthology from the 80s. Um, and so it's something I caught, I think, online a long time ago. And yeah, it's just, it's a goofy, fun movie. Like the framing devices, like these ghouls steal uh, a bunch of VHS tapes and pizza for their monster party on Halloween. And there's these uh, six stories. It's it's kind of a long anthology too. It's like an hour and forty five minutes, but uh, it's got all these wacky stories. Like uh, uh, like there like there's a simple one where it's just like a kid's afraid there's a monster in his closet. There's a woman held hostage by her crazy aunt. There's a bunch of hunters after a werewolf. And this is interesting. There's one about a purse snatcher played by SpongeBob SquarePants' own Tom Kenny, who also sings about his purse snatching, except he steals from the wrong old lady and steals the wrong purse. I first saw Creep Tales because it came with, um, it came on one of those um, public domain, like, you know, 10 movies on one disc for, you know, five bucks. Okay. And the, the transfer was so bad. Like, it was t- it was terrible. I'm, I'm really glad that somebody because I've always liked it, um, but it I'm really glad somebody has actually restored it. Yeah, this is a pretty good transfer too. 
Like, it's a lot clearer now, like, way better than anything I've ever seen before. It's also just great seeing Tom Kenny pop up and stuff, and then you hear yeah. the SpongeBob voice come out. Like, have you ever seen <laughs> Shakes the Clown? He plays, like, a oh. cocaine-addicted cocaine clown, and there's just, like, one part where he does, like, a fat line and then just <laughs> does the SpongeBob voice, and it's just the weirdest thing where suddenly my childhood is just, like, warped, where it's just like, <laughs> oh, God, is that is that just his coke voice? Oh. That uh, raises a lot of questions about SpongeBob's recreational habits. <laughs> he just soaks it up like a sponge. Yeah. <laughs> what? He's trying to do the SpongeBob lab. This is why we don't record late at night. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he just got off work, so we know he's not drunk. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> It was just, it was just I, trying to do the SpongeBob laugh, you know. I thought it was pretty solid. What else has been going on with you guys? Um, well, I've been going. Well, like I said, I've been going to the New Beverly a lot. Uh, I saw uh, Once Upon a Time in China parts one and two on Monday, and then on Tuesday I saw Alligator and Jackie Brown in honor of the late great Robert Forster's birthday. Oh, nice. Yeah, so no, those those were a lot of fun, and man, and speaking of movies that should be on Blu-ray, why why haven't we got an alligator on Blu-ray? I was just about to say that. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, no, we we need alligator on Blu-ray, like in honor of Robert Forrester. It's it's what he would have wanted. Now that we're getting alone in the dark on Blu-ray, we can start focusing our collective energy on alligator now, as we should. The world needs it because it worked for Alone in the Dark. Yeah, that was all us. <laughs> oh yeah, no, we deserve the credit for that one. <laughs> Now, uh, this isn't something I, I've watched, but uh, do you guys follow Kino Lorber on Twitter? Because <laughs> I know what you're gonna. Because because this because this is this was one of the greatest interactions I've ever seen on Twitter <laughs> from like a label uh, label to its audience. Because uh, uh, Kino announced that they're releasing uh, Misery on in 4K, which I'm super excited for. I'm definitely gonna pre-order that. I fucking love that movie. Uh, and their 4K transfers are really good. Their Mad Max release was phenomenal. Even Hannibal was, like, really good looking. Um, not as good as that Howard the Duck transfer in 4K. <laughs> like, holy shit, that movie had no right looking that good. Anyways, I digress. <laughs> um, so on it, they, they basically uh, say that they have an agreement with MGM now. And so, you know, there's always, and whenever a label announces, we're oh, we're releasing this, there's always some jackal that's like, oh, well, why aren't you release this? Oh, why don't you? Re- you need to release this. It's usually James shouting about Alone in the Dark, but he stopped <laughs> doing that recently. Um, so um, someone said, "Hey, uh, why? So are, why don't you guys release Sleepaway Camp three? And this was just a guy who just doesn't want to, who didn't get the Screen Factory release, and he doesn't want to play scalper prices. Uh, but Kino replied saying, "We have no interest in releasing Sleepaway Camp three. So this guy laid into like leaned hard into it and he just goes, You guys put out It's Pat the movie on Blu-ray, but Sleepaway Camp Three is just one step too far, ten four. And it's like, Oh nice, you tried like you you you, you would think that it would have just ended there and that they wouldn't like, you know, respond. No. Kino Lorber fucking thrashed this guy and said we don't need to defend ourselves but it's pat and many other crappy titles were a part of a package of films we acquired take all or take none also it's pat had never been out on hd on on hd this shitty sequel has already been released on blu-ray oh get this guy some ointment 
and it's Pat <laughs> and Sleepaway Camp 3. Wasn't it Pat written by Tarantino? What? I think he... Uh, he ghost wrote script, it or like he, script doctored it. It's one of those two, but yeah, he definitely helped out because he was friends with um, uh, the woman behind it. Yeah. Was it Julia Sweeney or... Uh, yeah, I believe so. She's she's in uh, Pulp Fiction. She's the, um, the, the, uh, the owner of the re- car wrecking lot that they go to that the wolf goes to breakfast with. Um, so yeah, they're old pals. So yeah, I think, uh, so there is some historical merit to it's Pat, not but, that there isn't any to sleepaway camp three, but they have a point. Sleepaway camp three has already been done, but I did like how they explained like, yeah, no, we've put out some crappy movies, but it, the reason behind it is because it's, it's all or nothing on it. And it's like, yeah, you know, Kino does put out some crappy movies sometimes, but it's always, I love it when they do. Cause it's like, Kino does have a bit of a prestige you know they do put out like some very important films and so it's always fun when they do put out like like they'll put out like a beautiful brand new restored for the first time ever Metropolis and then turn around and do it's Pat like I I love that about (laughs) them that they'll they're more than willing to do that you You just want a criterion uh, copy of Freddy got fingered it just whenever (laughs) you see something like that from Kino it gives you hope that criterion's gonna do Freddy got someday Someday. Instead, they're just going to keep doing Wes Anderson movies. <laughs> Have either, did you, either of you guys watch uh, The Tomorrow War? Uh, no. no, not yet, although I've been hearing good things. <laughs> good is a, is a bit of a hard sell. Um, it is, it's fun. Um, it's not a good movie. You really have to suspend your disbelief. Um, and any, you have to suspend your disbelief with any movie that deals with time travel except the butterfly effect, because that was 100% legit. But anyway, I mean, it, it, it is what it is. And, you know, basically the, the premise is mankind is fighting a war 30 years in the future. And, they're, and, and it's the Earth against these aliens. And Earth is getting its ass kicked. So in order to find soldiers, they go back in time and start drafting people from now. And they're barely training them. They're throwing a gun in their hand, and then they're jumping them into the future. <laughs> and... uh Chris Pratt is like the main character and he jumps forward in time. And, you know, it's, I mean, it's a fun little disposable science fiction movie, but when he jumps forward in time, things go wrong with the jump. And when he lands in the future, it's right out of saving private Ryan. It is pretty horrific. That's probably that scene is worth dialing it up on prime alone. Just, you know, the, 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 his initial jump to the future is just, horrifying two things real quick so when you think of the perfect time travel movie it's butterfly <laughs> effect <laughs> like that's your go-to time travel like i'm not judging i'm just that's your pick i was actually just uh joking not even joking because i'm completely serious but two other members of the san diego film critic society jokingly threatened to kick me out because i said butterfly effect would be in my top 10 of all time so yeah I would say that. <laughs> no, no, no. Again, no, no judgment. I mean, to each their clone. But uh, yeah, that's just that. that this, that's just an interesting hill to. Uh, Did you just on. say to each their clone? Yeah. <laughs> and second, if they draft people from the past, that means that person isn't in the future, or their kin isn't. Now, see, you're did starting. They, to, they, you're starting they, to figure it out. Did they, did they, they not think that through? 
No, no, no. They did. If they bring Sarah Connor to the future to fight the robots, there's no John Connor. No, I mean, <laughs> this, this isn't spoiling too much, but basically when they when they're screening people to send into the future they have to make sure that they are dead by the time 30 years comes by so that's why when Uh. they put chris pratt on this machine and they look it up they go okay he's eligible and then he's like oh what the fuck does that mean and he figures out that he's actually going to die in seven years whoa you know but but they always say that they they won't tell him how or exactly what day or any of that you know it's it's all secretive um because you know they don't want to change the future they don't want to change the future when they're taking people out of the past. Well, no, yeah. because if they change the future, if that person lives longer and then there's two of them in the future, it'll fuck everything up. So they do consider that in the Tomorrow War. Oh, I'm glad they they really thought that out. <laughs> it sounds, sounds like a great plan. Yeah, no, I'm sure it's uh, completely intricately told to rival back to the future it basically sounds like the reverse action version of that episode of south park when people from the future came back in time to to work or kind of like uh like a side uh movie to uh, uh edge of tomorrow i was about to say this does sound similar to edge of tomorrow but edge of tomorrow rules so oh it does <laughs> it truly does I was just thinking about, like, I saw the trailer for Jungle Cruise before uh, Black Widow, and I couldn't help but sit there and be like, man, Emily Blunt is going to carry the shit out of that movie, isn't she? It was just saying a lot, because The Rock's also in it, and The Rock's great. I mean, come on, Rampage. Uh, but but that's what I thought about A Quiet Place uh, Part 2, and Millicent Simmons carried the shit out of that movie, so... Well, yeah, they didn't really give... That is also true. They didn't give Emily Blunt anything in that movie. Which is weird, because it was her husband who wrote and directed it. <laughs> hey, I mean, you know, he had more a more interesting story for, you know, uh, the daughter. <laughs> it happens. Mm-hmm. It was a more interesting story. Have either of you guys dove into the Fear Street movies? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I was at the uh, outdoor premiere of Fear Street 1994. <laughs> oh, my God. I saw the pictures of that. Did, did they only show 1994? They didn't yeah, show 78? Uh, yeah, it okay. was just that one. I've seen all three of them. Um, nice. Even though when we record this, the third one doesn't drop until tomorrow, but I'm cool like that. Um, <laughs> so I've seen the whole trilogy. Um, I I can tell you that the third, in my opinion, 1666, is the weakest. But the reason is it doesn't, lean as hard into the nostalgia i love 94 because it was like watching a lost scream movie kind of right you know it was just just the whole aesthetic and i don't care what people are saying yeah i don't care if that garbage song actually came out in 95 every single needle (laughs) drop of that movie is freaking perfect uh did you see the tweet where someone was like oh for those who are angry about music about us certain songs in fear street not matching with the year Wait till you get to 1666, because none of that music is from 1666. Well, here's the funny thing. The needle drops stop in 1666. Because they didn't have needles then. Except, here's the deal, though, with that. They do jump back forward to 1994 in order to wrap things up. And you do get needle drops then. (laughs) But when they're in 1666, there's no needle drops. But 78... It's more of the same. It's it, it's like it. And Grant, yeah, Friday the 13th came out in 1980. So to those people who are like, it it kind it, it's actually has more of a 70s vibe, I think, than an 80s. But it is definitely a slasher 
So that that's kind of fun too. Like seventy eight has a seventies vibe, but it's got the eighties setting. You know what? Yeah. If, if that makes sense, like because yeah. the summer camp yeah. killings that was an eighties thing. But yeah, overall it's and one of the things that I found really funny about because I've only seen the first two. I I I could have watched them, but I wanted to experience it as like. They, they kind of intended like with it coming out each week and I like and I, honestly the weight has made it like really good especially when they do the recaps it's been working really well for uh, this well my screeners have actually come one every week so I have had to wait oh. I just see it a couple days early. oh you see it a couple days early gotcha yeah. um, nice. but I gotta say one of the things it, you it it's almost a fault but I actually kind of enjoy it uh, at least with the first two is it gets so kind of wrapped like the story is progressing and they keep you know the witch stuff going but it feels like the movie is so the movies are so wrapped up in their uh in the nostalgia and and pulling off you know like a 90s scream knockoff or a slasher film uh late 70s early 80s or so and then all of a sudden like when it gets to the third act it's like oh shit we got to do that we actually have to like progress this the story more so and then it just like it, it it just always feels like there's this one moment where they go oh shit we have to continue this and then they it like shifts <laughs> and and then because it feels like it wraps up and then there's another 20 minutes and i love it because i because i i'm having so much fun with these movies i want more what's funny about them and funny not funny haha but funny interesting is that there's definitely like a kids movie vibe to it there's like a stand by me Goonies kind of a vibe, yeah. But these movies are brutally violent. Yeah. Like, I mean, oh, and, yeah. and especially sep- especially 1978, they actually kill kids in that damn movie. Yeah, I was just I'm about like, to say, yeah. Are you kidding me? You cut that kid's head off? What? Yeah. You know, like, they no. went for it. I mean, oh, people who got pissed that Spielberg killed a kid in Jaws <laughs> is really going to be upset. <laughs> yeah, so many people. So many people are like, "Yeah, you can't kill kids on screen in your movie. Like that's a no-no." And then Fear Street's just like, "All right, hold my beer." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like it just goes for it, and they're and they're brutal too. Like you see the axe going to the face when that um when the one kid with the glasses gets murked in the uh, cabin. That was brutal. Yeah. Uh, yeah, a lot of split faces open. Yeah, um, and I love, and I get so hyped at the end of each one when they preview the next movie. Like, yeah, they 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 knew how to release these right, and I'm yeah. loving that. It 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 is going in reverse, but the story is progressing forward. You know, because usually with these type of movies, they start when the curse begins, and then they show the ending. Whereas this one, it's kind of like it starts in the third act, but and then you're going back in time. But the story is progressing linearly in how they do it. It's, uh, I'm enjoying it quite a bit. Yeah, The kids are solving the mystery. And in order to solve the mystery, they have to just keep going back in time. Right. And the thing about the third one um, is a, a lot of it is about the witch that that's possessing these killers, Sarah Fear. Um, and it took me three movies to realize Fear. If you spell <laughs> it differently, it's Fear Street. I know. Yep. <laughs> It took me. I finally it clicked in the middle of the third movie. I'm like, oh, ah, 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 Fear Street. Um, It only took me two movies for it to click. (laughs) But um, the the thing is, you know, if you watch the first two movies that she does not escape this persecution of, of a witch, because that's what a lot of 1666 is her running from the townspeople who think that she's gonna be that she's a witch. You know, she doesn't escape that. So then it becomes about how 
she gets caught and how it becomes a curse, you know, and right. it, it becomes just more about solving the mystery. Oh, man. You know, what I just realized because they kind of do the same thing with the second one. You know, the sister is going to die in it. Oh, and but they like, pull the rug out on that one. Now. Well, well, and that's the thing is that like I, I, it just dawned on me that both sisters had C in their first name and she just goes by C Baxter. And it, I, I knew which sister was going to die the whole time. I'm like, oh, yeah, it's not a thing. And then like at the end, they pull the rug like, wait, you were Ziggy? And I was like, well, yeah, right. You didn't get that. Uh, it just dawned on me that that, that was uh, that that was a thing. Okay, cool. Layers. I'm learning more. I love it. I can't wait for all of them to be out, and then I'm gonna wait a couple months and then just marathon all three in a row. Like it's and you're <laughs> right. It does idea. it does have that R.L. Stein uh, flair to it, but it's cool seeing it and uh, like as an R-rated type yeah. deal and, it, and they go for it man that bread they slicer do. kill in the first <laughs> oh, one yes oh man uh like and, and also i like the style of all the different slashers because they each have their own kind of aesthetic and uh, oh sackhead each yeah. one of the killers oh that axe sackhead guy is terrifying yeah, yeah. Oh, when he's running oh man um, but I still I think the the crowning achievement, especially the first one, uh, nails it perfectly. Is they actually casted teenagers? These aren't like they don't they all are of they all look of age. They all look the right age, but they're actually well rounded characters. Especially uh, 1994, like you, they had these like typical what you would think are the typical stereotypes, and then like they actually like crafted them and like had them be well-rounded and like real characters so like when you see some of them die you're actually feeling it and i and i really dug that they that they weren't trying to be because everyone's always like oh we have these high school characters in our movies so we're doing a john hughes thing oh it's very john hughes thing it's like no these are actual because john hughes things were all archetypes anyways but uh these were they they felt like real characters so i was able to like connect more with it it was these ones aren't archetypes at all like oh, no. we were talking very about well rounded yeah we were talking about the archetypes and werewolves within um yeah. these ones are not at all uh, kind of with 77 77 they weren't as well rounded 78 you mean the, 78. The, the camp one yeah, yeah the camp okay. one yeah but but the ones that weren't as well rounded are the secondary ones right you know the basically the sunnyvale ones but the shady side ones yeah totally yeah. right i i do feel that uh the 78 also had a lot more characters so you didn't get to spend as much time with each one 94 it was it was much more contained character wise wait until you get to 1666 here's the thing about 1666 and this is actually a little hokey just about every actor from the first two movies is playing a role in the 17th century (laughs) yeah they tease that at the end of the second one and honestly that got me so hyped the because at the end when they show that shift and all that yeah i was like okay i'm down for this great shift yeah Uh, because also it's it but it it I haven't seen three, obviously, but my speculation with it is that it's not going back in time and that Sarah Freer is making the main character relive all this. And that's why the familiar faces are are playing those characters, you know, like a like a Wizard of Oz type deal. Yeah, but you, you kind of see it at the end of two when she kind of goes into that trance and, you yeah. know, you can tell that she's kind of teleported into that body. So, yeah, yeah. That, that is. But but all of her friends go with her. You know? Yeah, like like Wizard of Oz, you know, you were there and you were, you there. were there and you were there and you were and the, and there were monkeys. <laughs> <laughs> 
because we're the kings of segues. Let's seg this into our topic, which is kind of going to be R.L. Stein and how he kind of influenced our impressionable ages, I guess. Yes. Um, I was a little older when the when like these Fear Street and Goosebumps books came out. So I was more into the Goosebumps books, mainly because they were quick reads. I could just, you know, pick one up for a few bucks, read it. And they were pretty much all the same. But I loved them because they were I could just burn through them real quick. And I love the Goosebumps TV show. Yeah, because they actually followed the books. And that's also kind of what I loved about the Goosebumps movies is that they didn't. What they did is um, if you haven't seen the movies, it basically the monsters from the books come out and terrorize the town. Yeah, so, it kind of becomes meta. And yeah, I yeah. They got Jack uh, Jack Black of all people to play Arl Stein. Arl Stein and Slappy the Dummy. Oh, right. And the Invisible Boy. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you get to uh, do a lot of roles in those. So I was always more into Goosebumps than Fear Street, I think, when it comes to R.L. Stein. Um, what about you guys? Yeah, no, I, I feel kind of similar, though. I was younger, of course. Um, I um, didn't. Uh, I, so it, I was in the target demographic for those types of books. So I just, yeah, I ate them up. And also, I, I do feel like it was kind of a, a great en- entry level horror, especially for someone like me who was very easily scared as a child. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I read a bunch of those books and I also really like the, uh, choose your own adventure goosebumps books where, you know, it's like you're in the book and like you, you're getting attacked by monsters and stuff. Give yourself goosebumps is what those yes, were called. Give yourself yeah. goosebumps. That's <laughs> the one. Oh yeah. That was some good times. Uh, I never actually did read many, any of those fear street books. Uh, I don't really remember if there was any particular reason, but. Yeah, no, I read a bunch of the uh, Goosebumps books, mostly because uh, I had an older sister and she loved the Goosebumps books. So she would get a bunch of them and then I'd get the hand-me-downs. Yeah, also was a big fan of the TV show, which uh, used to be on Fox Kids. And it is kind of funny with those types of things because like, uh, yeah, like a young Ryan Gosling was even in an episode. Yep. When I think of the TV show is the theme songs going and then they're like going Ooh, through the town stop. and stuff. And when they get to the dog and his eyes, through the, he, he like <laughs> roughs yeah, along. He, with roof, 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 roof. he yeah. like he barks along with the theme. Yeah. <laughs> so oh, man, that used to creep me out so much. Goosebumps, you're in for a scare. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, oh yeah, man! I I actually was kind of I kind of even though I was the target demographic, I kind of missed the goosebumps uh, reading uh, phenom. You know, uh, I I don't know. I guess I I just never. I, I think I had a couple of the choose your own adventure ones, uh, but I do remember watching the show growing up. And there was one kid in my in in like the first grade whose parents wouldn't let him watch it. So after each episode would premiere, I'd call him. And tell him what happened in the episode. That that's about. Uh, I never. And then I I didn't know about Fear Street at all until they announced the movie. And I was like, oh, that sounds dope. Fear Street. Um, it was his R.L. Stein series for older kids, but he also did a bunch of books along the same lines that were not in the Fear Street series, but they were. I mean, R.L. Stein would pump out a book a week. I feel because he would do a goosebumps book and a fear street book every month. And then he would have these little standalone ones. So, and then I guess maybe he'd take a week off a month. I don't know, but he was (laughs) 
pumping them out it's in like the 90s. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, like I said, a lot of the Goosebumps books were the same. You just, you know, you could just. <laughs> Put you know put a different monster in it. Yeah, they were pretty formulaic. Yeah, absolutely. But hey, I mean, it's it probably bought that dude several houses, so he did something <laughs> right. Um, but the the Fear Street books, I never really got too into those. But you know what, I was into at the same time. There was Christopher Pike. Do you guys remember Christopher Pike from Star Trek? Right, <laughs> first no. captain. It, it's, it's a different author who was probably, I mean, if, if Earl Stein's listening to this, he's probably going to be like, oh, fuck you for bringing up Christopher Pike. He was probably <laughs> his biggest competition for that older market, not so much the Goosebumps, but the, the Fear Street books, because Christopher Pike's books, I, I thought they were a little more creative and they were, they were actually scarier, I thought. Um, but it was the same general thing where you, you know, they were geared toward like probably, you know, mid teenagers. And that's what the characters in them were as well. You know, you just like Fear Street, you know, that's what I think was relatable to teenagers is R.L. Stein and Christopher Pike. Um, R.L. Stein might've been a little bit better at it though. Got into the, actually got into the heads of the teenagers. So he wrote pretty realistic kids. I just love too how uh, people, you know, people forget like the, the Goosebumps books and the franchise were so big at the time that there were so many imitators even from existing franchises like uh i was a big fan of uh galaxy of the galaxy of fear books from star wars where they did you know kind of uh ya scary stories set in star wars of all things which that needs an adaptation oh god yes I wish. I want a Fear Street style Star Wars saga. <laughs> oh, that'd be fun. You think Disney hasn't thought of that? It's probably in development. They're doing everything else. It's possible. <laughs> There's actually a Christopher Pike um, book that's in development right now. Um, I think Mike Flanagan is attached to direct The Midnight Club. Oh, yeah. I heard a little bit about that. Yeah. Yeah. That's a Christopher Pike joint. Um, so I don't know. Um, I, I, I want to say it might be for Hulu, but that might be wrong. It might be for someone completely different. If it's Flanagan, it's probably with Netflix because they've been... Oh, right. Uh, right. Getting, and uh, he's doing another adaptation as well for them uh, that I can't remember. Is uh, it another Hill House? No, I, I wish. Oh, my God. <laughs> I loved Haunting of Hill House. Uh, or no, uh, Bly Manor. Hill House was really good, but Bly Manor was perfectly splendid. So, yeah, uh, I mean, uh, I, don't, I think uh, the Christopher Pike adaptation is going to be for Netflix, but he's definitely doing an adaptation of Something is Killing the Children for Netflix. Yeah, The Midnight Club is Netflix. I just I just looked it up. So you're right. Yeah. They're not going to let Flanagan go anywhere else. He's like the <laughs> goose that lays the golden egg for them. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I, I mean, if you if you ran a, a service and you had Mike Flanagan, uh, would you let him go ever? I mean, come on. I'd give him blank checks. Yeah. Make whatever movie you want. I would just be like, keep making Haunting of series, please. Do more Bly Manor. Hey, he was able to film Gerald's game. He can oh, do yeah. whatever the hell he wants because that's an unfilmable book. He made Dr. Sleep make sense and be good. <laughs> Stephen King's got to love him. <laughs> I bet he does. <laughs> yeah, just kind of thinking back, I think probably my favorite Goosebumps book uh, was the Scarecrow Stalks at Midnight. That one scared the hell out of me when I was a kid. Still have my book, too. I think my favorite was called You Can't Scare Me. 
and it was um it was kind of like bog mug, mud monsters were yeah the, the muck monster yeah the muck monsters they were the uh they were the villain but they didn't come out until later because the whole thing is about kids trying to scare each other mm. until finally the monster's real <laughs> and everybody's like oh uh, look at a great costume <laughs> it's uh, not I love that twist for me it's it's always the mask I mean, oh yeah, haunted that, mask, the, the haunted, haunted mask. mask. It's yeah. it's Iconic. terrifying. That that cover alone got me. And then uh, the first the first uh, episode, you know, because uh, there was two stories in the in the show. The first one was ter- terrified me as a kid. The second one was way too cheesy. Even as a kid, I was like, oh, that's not scary anymore. The, those and Monsterland were were my two. Like, oh, one day at was it one day at Monsterland or Horrorland? Or no, it was Horrorland. It was Horrorland. Yeah, yeah. Both the uh, the books and those episodes were gold for me. Yeah, and that's the other thing too. Like, I, I really do want to revisit uh, the Goosebumps TV show because I recalled that all pretty much every episode had an ample amount of practical effects and like monster effects and stuff. So I think that'd be kind of funny, fun to you know, kind of check that out again. They did, but they had that '90s Canadian TV uh, production budget with oh, it. True. So, like, it is all it is all practical, but it's 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 got that nice '90s nostalgia with it, you know. But it was also it was a Saturday morning show too, so it wasn't true. like I mean, there there are no axes in heads or anything because oh, no, you know no. this was you know I'm actually a little confused that Korea's friends' parents wouldn't let them watch it because it was pretty <laughs> tame. You know, it was a Saturday morning show. It was controversial back then. He had a helicopter mom, so you know uh-huh. she wouldn't let him really do a whole lot. But th- but that was also the thing about uh, that I thought was always so successful about the books and the show was the fact that they they weren't going for the bloody kills and stuff like that. So a lot of yeah. like the fears were like I was surprised I did it uh, a few years back when uh Goosebumps the TV show first hit Netflix. Um I did a list uh for iHorror and I watched the entire series again and I was su- genuinely surprised on how much of that show was preying on fears of like losing oneself's like identity and um just preying on like insecurities and stuff like that which are very universal and are still you know i it gets a little bogged down with the cheesiness of of the effects and you know <laughs> uh the writing that's more geared towards a younger audience but i it, yeah, i mean true. the 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 um those things are still universal so like it is still very effective like i remember there's an episode that involves mirror people and all the mirror people and like they turned invisible that's still that i was watching that in my 20s having a beer and i was still genuinely creeped out by that because like that's 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 a creepy thing like it's not a dog with glowing eyes like that's a thing that's like whoa yeah that would fuck with my head hard and then like i'm looking at my mirror being like i don't know I I can't wait to see what the team behind these Fear Street movies do next because they oh, yeah. did they did such a phenomenal job of not only knowing w- what they were taking the inspir- their inspirations from but also not falling for a lot of the faults of that time. Like I said, well-rounded characters, great, you know, but still trying to do one-up kills and stuff like see that's the thing they didn't really take any stories from the fear street series but they captured the vibe of the whole thing oh so 
so it wasn't so. I mean, it was. I mean, I know R.L. R. Stein got to writing credit, but it was more like an inspired by thing. Right. Have you guys seen um, the director's Lee J- Janayek or Janayek? Have you seen Honeymoon, her her first movie? Uh, no, I still got to no. see that. that. That's with Rose Leslie, and I forget who the guy is in it. Um, it's basically about a newly married couple who goes on their honeymoon, and the woman starts acting like really crazy. It's a pretty freaky movie what's it called again honeymoon it's just called honeymoon yeah yeah i'll have to check that out it's like maybe maybe five or six years old but yeah interested in seeing what she does next and yeah no i i gotta say that uh i do appreciate that they went so hard with uh the fear street book adaptations because yeah that is you know because it's kind of gateway horror but at the same time it is gorier than most r-rated movies nowadays yeah it, it earns the r Oh, extremely so. I mean, it, it and even even some of the sex. I mean, th- there's no nudity, but it starts going on, you know, some of the some of the the groping and touchy feely and you're yeah, like, yeah, it's pretty heavy. You're like, okay, they're aggressive. Here's an R. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like like you said, no nudity, but there's there's they're pretty graphic like the, the It does get intense. They're going for it. Yeah. Right. I mean, damn horny teenagers. <laughs> horny teenagers yeah. do what horny teenagers do, which is generally each other. <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh, and again, I just love the different uh, ser- uh, the different slashers that they have for these stories. Like, yeah, there's the baghead axe man for the summer camp. There's also like that weird kid with like the creepy doll head and the weird witch. Uh, it, just the one that's just like a teenage girl, but it's like the witch. And then oh, there's Rose. the. the yeah, and then the, the the skull head, and then there's that one guy with a leather with a leather helmet or like head thing that's drowning someone in a lake, and then there's there's that one guy that stabbed the shit out of the sister or, or stabbed the shit out out of so uh, one of the sisters in the second one that has like a burnt up face and stuff. It's just like, what's his story? Each one of them, like you look at them and you're like, there's a complete story to that character that we're never going to see. And I'm a bit upset of it. You do get to see the origin of the baghead axe guy. Right. Um, in, in 78, which is you cool do. because, because he's probably the most horrifying one of those. And you do get to, so you do get to see some of the stories for some of them. Cause there's also Rose, uh, the one who murdered seven people and then killed herself. And she's the one that sings a song. Uh, like, so you do get to see him for some of them, but there's others where they're like, you're just like, damn, that character could have their own movie. And they're just like, a, they're just a secondary, you know, what is up with that doll head one with the bat though? Like that, that little fucker, like, <laughs> every time it comes on, it's just like, what? It, I, I can't help but think, like, what's your deal? Like, what? <laughs> There's a couple more movies. We could do like a 1983, <laughs> yeah. a, a, a 1965. We, <laughs> we we joke, but they could honestly do like a like a series of like just 20 minute like things and just go through each one of the shady uh, shady side uh, killers and just like show like what they did. Just. And they just call it the further adventures of the witch's influence or some shit. There you go. <laughs> if you're listening, Lee, make it happen. We'll watch. It's what the people demand. Mine that well dry. Like I'm, <laughs> I'm down for far more fear streets and I can't wait for 1666, but I am going to wait a little bit because I did promise Lindsay uh, that even though I'm on the road, we're going to try to stream it at the same time. Uh, different places. Cause we're cute like that. Oh, 
Aww. Aww. All right. On, on, on that cute note, let's get the hell out of here. <laughs> let's go to bed. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, our theme song is by Restless Spirit. So go check them out. Our artwork is by Chris Fisher. So go check him out. Uh, you can check us out at the Ion Horror Facebook page, the Ion Horror Twitter, the Ion Horror Instagram um, at iHorror.com and any other number of uh, places. We're not hard to get a hold of, so uh, you can you can find us. Yeah. Hit, hit us up on any of the socials and let us know what are your favorite uh, Fear Street books, Goosebumps books, TV episodes, or Christopher Pike books. Uh, <laughs> let us know what's your favorite uh, of these teeny horror series or books or whatever. Um, and we will see you in a couple of weeks. So for me, James J. Edwards, I'm Jacob Davison, and I'm Jonathan Korea. Keep your eye on horror. <laughs> <laughs>